Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88,000. We've been in this series, Who is Jesus? And throughout that, we've been talking about who he is as a shepherd. We delve into the fact that we need a shepherd. We are lost sheep and in trouble if we don't have Jesus. We talked about Jesus being I am, how he has always been from the beginning throughout the Old Testament. He has been Yahweh. He is I am, the everlasting father. And today I want to talk about him as our redeemer. He is our redeemer. So if you got your Bibles, if you want to open a Bible app, we're going to look at Ephesians to start with, and then we're going to go to Ruth chapter 2, and we'll read a little bit in Ruth chapter 1 as well. How many of y'all remember growing up ever redeeming cans or bottles for money? Anybody ever do that growing up? Okay. I remember growing up, and we tried it every once in a while, but it always felt like it was a lot of work for the return, right? But I remember looking at these bottles and cans, and I remember thinking, wow, California and Oregon? Those people make a lot of money on those cans and on those bottles. I always thought to myself, it's like, I grow up, I don't need to get a job. I just need to live in California, Oregon, and then I'll just, you know, turn in cans for cash, and that's, that's how I'll make a living. Because I, I remember as just a kid, I was thinking like, wow, they get a lot of money for each one of these cans. But I lived in Colorado, so instead of recycling, I just threw stuff in ditches and in the forest. You know, that's just how I rolled. I'm joking. I didn't do that. Chill out. Uh, how many of y'all have ever been to Chuck E. Cheese's before? Okay, anybody been to Chuck E. Cheese's? Now, I know that's a hard thing to admit around other people. But, but I, I've been to Chuck E. Cheese's. But here's the thing. Like, when you go to Chuck E. Cheese's and you redeem your tickets, right? But how many of y'all know this is not a good exchange? Like, this doesn't work out good at all. Because you're going to go and you're going to spend, if you spend 40 bucks playing these games, okay? You play all these games and you got all these tickets, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. But then you go to redeem your tickets. So you go up to the counter and you're like, man, that's some really cool stuff. And you're like, I'll have that big stuffed rat up there on the wall. And they'd be like, I'm sorry, son, but that's 45,000 tickets. And you're like, well, I only have 15,000. They're like, yeah, I'm sorry. You can get two pixie sticks and a kazoo. That's about all you can get with that. <laughs> just a horrible exchange rate on that stuff. It's like, man, this just doesn't add up well at all. How many of you ever have redeemed points at a grocery store for money off your gas? Y'all, y'all remember back when that was very helpful? You can still do it. You can still do it. You, if you spend a couple thousand dollars on groceries, you can get gas for $3.50 a gallon. <laughs> so, whoo, the struggle's real. The point is this. When it comes to the world's economy on redemption, it's never going to be a fair trade. But with an eternal perception and perspective on redemption, It's also not fair. It's not fair what God has given up so that we can be redeemed. We get the best end of that deal. He has been so faithful as a redeemer. But I think a lot of us have missed out on his redeeming power. 
or at least we don't live in it every day. In Ephesians chapter one, verse seven says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the rich, riches of God's grace. In the New Living Translation, same verse, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he has purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. So one definition of redemption would be purchasing and setting free by paying a price. By paying a price. And Jesus paid the ultimate price so that we could be redeemed. There are stories of redemption throughout the Bible. I think what's interesting is a large majority of the redemption stories in the Bible are in the Old Testament. Like in the old law under that. We can see that Jesus, though, was being foreshadowed throughout every one of those stories. It all points towards the cross. St. Augustine of Hippo said it this way. He was a theologian from Northern Africa, an early theologian. He said it this way. The new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. <laughs> this is what that means. In the Old Testament, there are seeds of truth that were planted for the New Testament. There are predictions in the Old Testament of how Jesus was gonna come in the New Testament and redeem us. We see a foreshadowing of Jesus over and over and over and over again. So today we're gonna look at the story of Ruth and her redeemer, but really we're also looking at a foreshadow of Jesus as our redeemer. And, but we can look to this story and see, man, this is how Jesus would wanna work in each one of our lives as a redeemer. In Ruth chapter one, starting in verse one, it says, in those days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Imelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of the two sons were Malon and Kilion, and they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab to live there. Before we go any further, can you guys just give me a hand for getting through those names? I think I did a pretty good job. Like, whoo, I practiced that a long time. So you're welcome. Backstory on this. In the time of Ruth, this is actually happening in the same time frame of Judges chapter 10. We're told in Judges chapter 10 that the people were kind of in a place where they just kind of did whatever they felt was right. Okay, so a time of relativism where it was kind of like, your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. Whatever feels good for you, do it. Whatever feels good for me, I'm gonna do it. Sound familiar at all? Okay, so that was the time. They didn't follow God's command. They followed their hearts and their own desires. Problem is, the Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked, and when you follow it, you're gonna get in trouble. So there was famine on the land because God's people were in rebellion. This happened a lot. In the Old Testament, there were famines and plagues, and a lot of times, these happened to Israel because of a sin cycle that they were constantly in. And this is what that cycle looked like. Rebellion, retribution, repentance, restitution. That's what it looked like. They would rebel, God would bring restitution against them, then they would be broken and repent, and then God would restore them. 
So God would say, you messed up, so bad things are gonna happen, but bad things are gonna happen, they're gonna make you come back to me and then you'll be restored. And this happens over and over and over and over and over again. And sometimes when I read the Old Testament, I just get annoyed. I get just really annoyed at the Israelites. Like, when are y'all gonna figure this out? Stop being dumb, right? But you can just see the cycle. But then, you know, I look at my own life and I'm like, dude, when are you gonna figure this out? Stop being dumb. There have definitely been seasons in my life where I've been in that same cycle. There's been seasons in my life where I've gone through that cycle like five times before lunch. Like I've just been in that. But God has always been faithful to restore. So famine is on the land. And Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, along with their two sons, they go to Moab and they give their two sons in marriage to Moabite women. Okay, you got to know a little bit about Moab, though. Here's the history of Moab. Moab essentially started as a country. I'm going to keep this PG. When Lot had an incestuous relationship with his two daughters. That is how Moab started. Okay, not a great start. And the Moabite women were known for trying to seduce Israelite men and they would lead them away from God's covering and would cause thousands of Israelite men to die. So I guess in conclusion, you say, you don't really mess with Moabite women. But that's exactly who Elimelech's sons marry. So they marry Moabite women, but before these new daughters or Ruth or Naomi were able to have kids, the husband and the two sons die. So Ruth, who is one of the Moabite women, this book is obviously named after her, goes with her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to their ancestral home, which is in Bethlehem. But the idea of a Moabite woman, Ruth, now going back to Bethlehem to even set foot in that country, unheard of. Like, bad idea. Everyone knew who the Moabite women were. They didn't want them around, okay? So this is the setup. It says in Ruth 1, So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So they're getting... They're going home right before food. Anybody have any kids that show up right when there's time to eat? Anybody around here? So, but God is setting the stage for this amazing thing because in the midst of this disaster where there are two women who have no protection, no provision, they're gonna see a breakthrough. There's gonna be redemption that happens in their life. And I would say, that you can see yourself in this story. Maybe even right now in this season, you're this, in this intensive, high pressure, difficult phase of life. But I find that in the moments that God may seem the furthest from you, he is setting the stage to move in his most redemptive power. That in those seasons, he's getting ready to show his faithfulness in you, through you and around you like you've never seen before. There may be things in your life right now that are creating this major discontent. But God may be setting it up that the very things that may be causing discontent are gonna 
ultimately bring you fulfillment later if you can see his redemptive power, if you can believe that he truly wants to redeem you. So I wanna talk about a couple of things that redemption from God offers to every one of us. First of all, redemption provides protection. It provides protection. So into our main text in Ruth chapter two, starting verse two, it says, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turns out, just so happens that she walks, she is working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just so happens. Okay, first of all, gleaning, real quick. That is basically like an Old Testament form of welfare. Basically, by law, as they would harvest the wheat, as they would go through and clear fields of wheat or barley or whatever, they would leave a portion behind and the needy people could go and collect that. So up to 25% of every harvest was left for gleaning, for people to come behind, people that were in situations like Ruth was in. Nobody to provide for her, no protection for her, okay? So Ruth happens to stumble upon this righteous man's field, Boaz. Verse eight says this, so Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Do not go and glean in any other field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. So Ruth is a foreigner in a very vulnerable state. People could have been taking advantage of her. No one to protect her. But Boaz does two things to protect her. First of all, he says, stay in my field and surround yourself with the other women that are here. And you can see this same form of protection that God gives and offers to us through his redemption. Because we're most vulnerable when we are outside of God's presence and away from godly community. Those are the two times in our lives that we will be most vulnerable. But you know, if any of you are parents, you say you got a teenager and they call you up and they say, hey, I think I'm gonna stay out a little later tonight. I might be out till like 11 o'clock. Is that okay? The first thing you're gonna ask them is, where are you going to be and who are you gonna be with? Because you know that those two things are huge factors of whether or not you're gonna be okay with this. And it's the same thing in our lives. Where we are and who we surround ourselves will be the difference of whether or not we're receiving the protection that is provided in God's redemption for who we are. So there's two ways that God offers us this protection. There's protection in God's presence, first of all. Psalm 91.2, this I declare, that he alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I'm trusting in him. The truth is this is built into every one of us. Every human on earth, this is built into us. You can see it in Genesis. God spoke to the earth and created the earth and out of the earth came trees. He spoke to the sea and out of the sea came fish. He looked at himself in the Trinity and said, we'll create men in our own image. But you can see that it is essential that what you were created for and the environment that you were created for, it's essential for you to remain in that or it doesn't go well. 
Because if you take a tree out of the earth, it'll die. If you take a fish out of the ocean, it dies. When you take humans out of the presence of God, death comes. And so we have to remain in his presence. There's protection in that place. And we have to declare every single day, God, Jesus, I need your presence. Be around me. Be with me. There's also protection in godly community. There's so many examples. I've talked about one of these recently where David separates himself from people. He doesn't replace his best friend, which is his number one accountability. And before you know it, it's a setup for sin and distraction and all kinds of compromise. Along comes Bathsheba. He falls into adultery and then commits murder to cover up adultery. All because he'd stepping away from one of the pieces of protection that God offers through his redemption. He stepped away from godly community. Because godly community is one of the things that God put in a place to point out our blind spots. And I don't care who you are, how strong you are, you've got blind spots. So this would be like, hey, I noticed you've been working a lot lately. When's the last time you took your wife out on a date? I think it's important that you prioritize your marriage. You gotta have godly people around you that can challenge you like that. Or hey, I haven't seen you for a couple weeks at Life Group. What's going on? Are you doing all right? Is there anything I can be praying about? You gotta have people around you that'll make those calls and find out. Love you enough to have that. That's one of God's protections through his redemption. It says in Proverbs 27, nine, the heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. So Boaz offers these two things to Ruth, right? And then Ruth runs home that night to talk to her mother-in-law about this foxy fellow named Boaz, all right? And it says in verse 20 of chapter two, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Okay, this term guardian redeemer, it was established in the Old Testament under the covenant that if a woman lost her lineage at any point, if there was no generation beneath to raise up or to rely on for provision, the guardian redeemer was the next closest relative to the husband. And the guardian redeemer could choose to marry the widow and that way would redeem, restore, and help provide and bring protection to that woman. Okay, so Boaz chooses to redeem her and he marries her. Not only does this redeem Ruth though and Naomi, but it redeems future generations to come. Okay, so just, just try, to, try to put this whole picture together of who Jesus is as a redeemer. Moabite woman, not even supposed to be in Bethlehem. She, first of all, honors her mother-in-law, trusts God, follows her mother-in-law back to a place that's not her home, humbles herself, realizes, hey, one of us has gotta make a choice to try to go and find some food. So she goes, just happens to walk onto the field of the nearest living relative to her father-in-law. And he chooses out of obedience to God to not just provide for her, but to completely redeem her, 
Because widowed women at that point were not, they were looked down upon. They weren't taken care of, they weren't loved. And so he didn't just take care of the practical needs. He took care of all the needs, the emotional, the social. That's how God redeems stuff. And he redeems it supernaturally. He puts all these pieces together. But here's the cool part. He's redeeming future generations because Ruth has a son named Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse. Jesse has a son named David. David is in the lineage of Jesus. So when we see this Moabite woman who wasn't even worthy to step foot in Israel, not only be redeemed, but it is found in the gospels in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Man, that's how my Jesus redeems. I love that. Redemption restores generations. And the way that God restores generations, a lot of times is through the older generation to restore the younger generations. So on that note, I wanna to talk to you for just a little bit about Generation Z. This is the generation born from 1995 to 2015. So currently the ages is seven to 27. There are nearly 74 million Gen Zers in the US right now, okay? But one in four worldwide are part of Gen Z. Okay, so according to the Barnett Institute, two out of three of Gen Z students are expected to leave church. They're not gonna stay in church. Two thirds of this generation are or are expected to leave church. Now, 58% of US teens today self-identify as Christians, but they're two times more likely than US adults to identify as atheists too. Only 3% of this generation has ever read their Bible. 3%. And the stats show that alongside things that have happened the last couple of years, like lockdowns and social media, the, the Generation Z is the most isolated generation that's ever lived. In other words, they don't understand what real relationships are about. So think about that. Think about how the enemy has waged an all-out assault on this generation to remove the redemptive power of protection around them. He's done his level best to get them as distracted away from God's presence, but also to remove them from godly community. He's attacking them. He's coming after them. So all this saying, the popular opinion would be, we've got a major problem with this generation, but the biblical truth would be, we also have a huge opportunity. But the older generation, we have to seize that opportunity. So here's the thing, you could just look at the next generation or you could look at this generation and just get frustrated. Man, they don't know what it's like. When I was a kid, I strapped bark to my feet and walked through ice storms 10 miles to get to school. <laughs> I don't know if anybody talks like that. I just, a little over the top. But you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. At one point or another, you've said something critical and negative 
But you know what I believe? I don't believe it's the lost generation at all. I think it's the generation that's going to change the world. I believe because of everything that's happening around us, it's going to be the generation that ushers in the second coming of Christ. And the only way the second coming of Christ is going to happen is if there are Christians that are spreading the gospel to people in places that other people weren't willing to go. The only way Jesus comes back is when his bride is ready. This generation is going to be the bride that is prepared for the second coming of Jesus. But I believe that the enemy is throwing everything he can at them to prolong the inevitable. Okay, And just because there is a time and a day that is not known to man of Jesus' return doesn't mean that that time doesn't change. God can change his mind. And I believe that God is constantly making a decision to allow more redemption to happen in people. But I believe this generation has to be redeemed so that they can redeem the world through Jesus. We have to fight for him, though. There's a church that's really close to us. Uh, we have a close relationship with us. And they, recently they, they surveyed their student body. And they basically just asked this question or they, they gave them this phrase and then asked them to fill in the blank behind this. The phrase was this, I wish my parents knew. And then just allowed the students to fill in the blank after that. So here's some of the things. These are real responses from students in this church. I wish my parents knew that even though my actions don't always show it, I desperately want to please them. I wish my parents knew. I wish my dad knew how much I love holding his hand even when I'd act like it embarrassed me in front of my friends. I wish my parents knew that even though I put a smile on my face, I'm not always happy. I wish my parents knew that instead of threatening to punish me, they just need to do it. Can I get an amen in the room on that one? You see, that's not something your students are ever gonna tell you, but I believe that inside of every one of this is this inherent need to receive godly discipline because godly discipline is one of the highest forms of godly love. And when we don't give godly discipline, to the next generation, we are withholding one of God's main forms of love. A student said that. I don't know if he put his name on it or not, but a student said that. I wish my parents knew that I would really love to be open with them about my mistakes, but I can't. I wish my parents knew how broken I feel at times. You know, there's so many more, but with every one of these responses, what this tells me is that this is a generation that is crying out, we want to be redeemed. But I believe it's the older generation. It's part of our responsibility to play a role in redeeming them. Last night I was at the gym and a dad came up to me. <laughs> this is just the way it works. He comes up to me, I'm like in the middle of a set. He's like, can I talk to you? I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, perfect. He tells me, hey, I got a teenage daughter. She's driving me crazy. I'm like, okay, what's going on? He's like, well, I'm doing my best to try to get her to, you know, do this and spend time with word, spend time in prayer, want to go to church. And I'm trying to get her to do this and, and I'm trying to get her to do that. And, and every time I'm around her, man, if I, if I wasn't talking, there would be no conversation because she never wants to talk. 
And so I let him talk for a little bit. <laughs> and then finally, I almost interrupted him. I'm like, okay, first of all, if you talk like this to her, no wonder you're not having good communication. You're doing all the talking. But I said this. I said, so it sounds like to me that you've spent a lot of time with your daughter telling her all the things that she should be doing. Stop shooting on your daughter. Look, everything you're saying may be true, but if you haven't approached your daughter with the same character and spirit that Jesus approached you, why do you ever think that she would be convicted or desire all these things that you're telling her she should be doing? When's the last time you just sat and listened and asked questions? He's like, well, I'll try, but then she won't talk. And so then I talk. I'm like, okay, give it space. It's okay if she doesn't always want to answer. But what kind of questions are you asking her? Are you asking questions that are, have an ulterior motive about what you want to hear and what you want to know? Or are you just willing to let her talk about what she wants to talk about? And then when she does talk, do you feel this need that you need to correct something she's saying? Or are you just letting her talk? He's like, you know, come to think of it, I feel like I just do a lot of the talking. How does the Holy Spirit work with us? When the Holy Spirit comes to us, is he like, you need to be doing this, you need to be doing that, you need to be doing this, you should be doing this, you should be doing this, and what's wrong with you, you should be doing this. That's not how he works with me. How he works with me is, Hey, James, when's the last time you spent some time with me? Hey, James, is that, is that really what you want to do right now? Hey, James, what does my word say about that? Hey, James, do you know how much I love you? James, do you know how much I just want to hang out with you? And I think if... Maybe we were a little bit more like that with everyone. I think it would open the conversation. I want to give you just a couple of things for this next generation. Some practical things. Pray for them to fear and reverence the Lord. Pray for them. Not to be afraid, but to respect God. Psalm 3411. Come, my children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I'm thankful that my parents at a very young age, instilled in me this respect for the word of God and respect for the church, respect for the body of Christ. It wasn't like, it wasn't unhealthy fear. It was just, no, we honor this. We respect this. But they had to influence that in me. If you make it happen, I promise you, they'll resist. Give opportunities but pray for them. Be an example to them. Be an example. Look, they don't need you to be a theologian. They just need you to be consistent. They don't need you to be smart and know all the answers. They just need you to be consistent. Setting the example. This is huge. Like, that was one of the things I asked this dad. I'm like, well, so do you feel like you're doing all the things you think she should be doing? 
most of the time, we're not even setting a good example. Who can set a good example? All of us. You don't have to be a pastor or a youth leader to be the people setting the example for the next generation. I promise you. In Titus 2.6, it says this, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled and everything set them an example by doing what is good and also be available to them. Be available to them. Set aside time. Psalm 90.12, teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. Help us to spend them as we should. This is not about counting all your days. It's about making your days count. And really what this generation needs is quality time. They need you to make room and have margin. They want this to happen, but they can tell when it's real and sincere and when it's not. If you're just a, if if they feel like they're just a box that's gonna get checked, none of us wanna feel that way. You have to have room for them, have margin. Back to the story of Ruth. I believe that's one of the biggest things that Jesus does is he redeems generations. And I believe that he wants to redeem your family. And I believe he wants to redeem generations of your family. I believe that some of you have lived under generational curses and Jesus wants to break those in you so that they never repeat ever again. I also think that a lot of times when you wanna see things break away in your life, one of the best ways for you to see breakthrough in your life is to help there be breakthrough in someone else's. Number three, redemption is given to all who take refuge. It's given to all who take refuge. Okay, that take refuge though, that is a choice. He doesn't force this. This is a choice. So I don't wanna discount God's redeeming love and how vast it is. I have seen its pursuit of people. I have countless stories of how he has sent his redeeming love to reach people. One example, uh, a few years ago, I was in Guangzhou, China on a missions trip at a team with me. And we were getting done with a very long day of ministry, underground churches, praying for people. And we were riding the Metro buses, bus system there in Guangzhou, China. It's a huge city, uh, over 200,000 college students at different universities in the city. And that's who we were primarily ministering to. So at a long day, uh, we get off the bus, uh, go back to the place we're staying. And I realize when I get to my room, I don't have my phone. It's gone. And at that point, I'm, I'm, I'm upset about it because I had a bunch of personal notes and stuff that I had taken on that phone. There, were, there was a lot of information on that phone that I was really upset that I wasn't gonna have anymore. It wasn't just, oh, I'll just buy a new phone. Like uh, uh, that, that phone was not on the cloud, okay? And so I, I was really upset about that. And the next day we had to get up and go out and do more ministry, but it's raining. It's just another miserable long day. We go to get on the bus and I had put a bunch of money on my retro, our Metro card uh, to pay for my team to ride the bus. And I knew we were gonna be there for several weeks. So I put a bunch of money on this so we could just get on the bus. You could pay with cash, you could pay with the Metro card. So I pay for my whole team, they go back, sit down, I pay and it's, as I'm trying to put my card away, it slips and it falls in this tiny little crack between the dashboard and the kiosk that you swipe the card. It falls back behind there. No way for me to get to it. I'm like, yeah. Come on, God. Like I'm on a missions trip. 
you know? So at first I'm mad at God, and I'm like, that's the devil. It's the it's Satan. Devil be so busy sometimes. Either way, I'm just in a funk. I'm upset. So I go through the whole day, bad attitude, trying to love on people, show them the love of Jesus, you know, but I'm just bad attitude. I get back to my room that night and I, I get on my computer and I've got an email from somebody I don't recognize. I open this email and the man introduces himself and he said, hey, I was on a bus last night late and as I was getting off the bus, something caught my eye out of the corner of my eye and I went over and I have your phone. Because on my home screen, you, on this phone that I had, it had my emergency contact information. Like if, you know, if found, contact, have my email. He's like, so I found your phone. And I'm like, oh, and you want to give it to me? Like this. So at first I was a little bit like hesitant. Like, okay, what's going on? He's like, if you want to come over to this area, this is where my apartment is. And I'll give you your phone back. And I'm like, man, I feel like I need some security right now. Like, I don't know, like this strange guy. So I, I, I go over to where he's living at this apartment building and we're just outside and I meet this guy. He's from South Africa, okay? And I get my phone and I'm very thankful. And he's like, hey, would you mind? I, I just need to talk with somebody. He's, he's like, would you be willing to come up to my apartment and just spend some time? And I'm like, oh. I'm like, it's fine. I'm basically like a ninja, you know? So if he tries anything, it's that. Felt pretty confident, you know? So I go up to his apartment and I just spend almost two hours talking with this guy. He tells me about his life. Tough, tough story. Uh, basically, he's there from South Africa. Uh, a lot of people from African nations do this. They go and they buy up a bunch of technology and they ship it back to their country and they can turn it for a profit because you can get it very cheap uh, in, in China. And so that's what he's doing. But he's, he's basically there by himself, no friends, nothing. He hadn't been home in months. And he had a really rough childhood, all this stuff. He'd actually grow, he grew up in some of the places that I'd been to when I went to South Africa in the slums in Soweto. So I knew how hard it was for him growing up. Long story short, I wind up leading him to the Lord there in his apartment. And he accepts Jesus. So I just want you to put that picture together. A white dude from America flies over to China where he loses his phone and a black dude from South Africa finds his phone and the black dude and the white dude meet up in a Chinese apartment complex. It's like a, like a setup for a bad joke, right? That is the pursuit of Jesus' redemption that he would do that for that man. So I get done, great conversation, get his contact information, try to get plugged in with another local church. And uh, I'll go down and I'm waiting on the bus. Bus shows up, get on the bus. And I remember, oh yeah, my Metro card's gone. So I pull out some cash to pay the bus driver and I'm holding the cash out 
and doesn't take it. He just looks at me. And he looks at me again, and then he just motions, like, hold on a second. And he turns aside, and he starts rifling through a bunch of stuff on the side of his, where he's driving, and he pulls out my Metro card, and he hands it to me. Okay, do you know how many buses are in Guangzhou, China? And how many buses are on that route in Guangzhou, China? There's, there's a dozen buses at least on that route. I could have gotten on any one of them. The, the, I mean, granted, I'm a 6'2 white guy in Guangzhou, China, so I mean, I do kind of stick out a little bit. But the fact that he remembered, he got down behind this kiosk, pulled this card out, and then just kept it. You see, those that refresh others, will they themselves be refreshed? That's the pursuit of God's redeeming love. That's what he wants to do for people. But here's the thing, it is a choice. Because I could have chose not to go over there. I definitely could have chosen not to go up to his apartment. And he could have chose to reject what Jesus had to offer him. In the Ruth 2.12, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be rich, richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That is a choice. You have to take refuge. You have to come under it. This is a story of redemption that opens with a funeral and ends with a marriage. It's amazing. The pieces that God put together. But here's the truth. Somewhere along the line, Ruth had to make the decision that in the midst of her pain and despair, I'm gonna take refuge under God's wings. And here's what I do know. 100% of the time, when you make the decision to take refuge in his presence, you will find redemption every time. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. I wanna give that choice to every person in this room and specifically for anyone who's never received or chosen the redeeming love and power of God. It is only through Jesus. It's only through the cross the truth is there's believers in this room that for one reason or another, maybe because of pride, maybe because of knowledge, maybe because of your own self-reliance. Right now, you're not walking in Jesus's redemption. You're walking in your own ability, your own control, your own knowledge, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, you're living in that place. And in that place, you're away from God's presence. You're away from his protection. You're away from biblical community. And he wants you to come back to him right now. And it is a choice. I think that you just humble yourself. You confess where you've gotten off and you simply return. You return. You return to devotion to him. You put yourself out there again and return to putting yourself around the body of Christ 
and godly community. It's a choice. But there are also some of you that you've never, you've never surrendered to his redemption, the redeeming love that comes through Jesus in the cross. That means you've never surrendered to him as Lord and Savior. You've never asked him to come forgive you of your sin and restore you. And if you're in that place, I just wanna give you a chance to do that right now. If you're away from God, not surrender to him, not under the shadow of his wing. Maybe you feel like you were in that place, but you haven't been. You know it. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to him this morning. I'm gonna ask you just to be bold. And as an act of faith and humility, I'm gonna ask you to put your hand up right now across this room if you want me to pray with you. Let's receive his salvation today. As soon as I see your hand, you put it down. Yes, ma'am. Got you. Anyone else? I'm just away from him. Yes, sir. Got you. Got you. Anyone else? Yes, sir. Respect that man. Anyone else? I'm just away from the Lord. I'm away from Jesus. I'm ready. I'm ready to step under his redeeming love, his forgiveness. Okay, got it. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay. Anyone else? All right. For everybody that just raised your hand, might be some of you that didn't raise your hand. You raising your hand is not what gets you saved. But I do think it helps release faith for you to receive what he's got for you right now. I'd encourage you to go public with this faith. I encourage you to declare to somebody you made a decision to surrender your life to Jesus. As soon as the service is over, tell somebody. And when, whenever it's available, I would encourage you to go public with your faith through water baptism. But I wanna encourage you that God is with you right now. He loves you. He's ready to meet with you. And let's just talk to him. Just say this, say, Father, I recognize that I'm a sinner and I recognize that I need a savior. And I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. And I ask for your forgiveness for my sin. And I believe that Jesus defeated my sin and defeated death when he rose from the grave. That's how I'm redeemed. That price it was paid, something I couldn't earn, but it's given to me and I receive it right now. And I surrender to you, Jesus, as my savior. And I also surrender my life to you and ask you to be Lord. And I repent. I stop and I turn away from living for myself, living the way the world wants me to live. I wanna live according to your will, the standard of your word. And I ask that you would lead me by your spirit every day to walk out this redeeming love so that others will receive it too. That you would get me connected with godly community that can encourage me, hold me accountable. I wanna live in your presence and your protection. 
help me to grow in an understanding of your word, the power of your spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for redeeming me. Thank you for your redeeming love that's pursued me, never given up. Father, I thank you for meeting with us, redeeming us. And I pray, Father, that each one of us would not just walk and live in the power of that, but that we would see that there are people around us that you wanna to redeem too. And I pray that you would use us first and foremost through the way that we live in our example. Use us, God, as a church to redeem people. Work through us for your glory and kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.